Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future, because your future is now. And it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. In this episode, we welcome Charlie Oliver, the founder and CEO of Tech 2025. Her motto, be fearless and unapologetic in the fierce pursuit of your goals and be just as passionate about helping people. And she doesn't just talk the talk, she walks the walk. She's leveraging her vast experience in traditional and digital media and strategy, in entertainment and in law, and certainly in technology, to educate entrepreneurs and consumers on the next wave of disruptive emerging technologies, the ones expected to drastically change our world in the next decade. She does so through live events and interactive workshops with industry experts, and she also has a fantastic podcast. Charlie offers a ton of value and great information in this episode, so let's get started. Hey, Tech Intersect listeners, I am so, so very honored and excited to welcome Charlie Oliver, founder and CEO of Tech 2025 to our ever so humble Tech Intersect abode. Charlie (laughs) Oliver, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I'm really excited. (laughs) Thank you. We've worked so hard. We have been in the same spaces at the same time, but it has been very difficult for us to connect in the actual physical sense. We go to a lot of the same conferences and Mm -hmm. we're speaking at the same time or ships (laughs) are passing in the night. Um, But at least we have social means to stay connected. And um, I see all the great work that you're doing. And I was so excited when I saw uh, all of the the things that you were posting about Tech 2025. And we'll get to that. But I'm really thrilled to have you here. And um, I think we'll have a great time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Like you said, uh, we're we're kind of like two ships uh, passing in the night, right? But yes. we're uh, we're obviously in the same waters, and so yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I get to see I see the, your tweets and I follow you, and and you just have such insightful um, posts and ideas, and I just love it. So I, I support you, and I love what you do, and so it's really I'm really honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Amazing. So let's jump in. So where I want to begin, because I love origin stories and and I'll start and, and preface it by saying when people hear about my background and expertise, um, you may or may not know I'm a former professional tennis player, I, yes. um, a, a, a lawyer by day, poet by mm. night. That's a whole other thing that we could talk about as well. Yes. Uh, law school professor turned associate dean and um, at all times the CEO of me and an <laughs> entrepreneur. Um, I know you share that as well. Yes, yes. And when people hear that lead up, they always, um, they marvel in some sense at the varied and various expense uh, experiences that brought me to the, this point. And as I reviewed your background and expertise, I'm really thrilled to share that. And I want to, he- I want my listeners to hear it from you because I think it's really valuable for them to hear how 
you know, there's no wasted effort and, and you may mm-hmm. not know how all of these disparate pieces fit together. Um, and, and by the end of this episode, they'll really see how your background and experience informs what you're doing now. But give us the lead up, the Charlie oh. Oliver lead up of, of everything from, you know, all of those background experiences and in, in tr- traditional media, TV production, wow. all the things. Talk to us. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's really funny because inevitably, whenever someone asks me to talk about my background, um, I'm always told that I downplay it. Right. Oh, they say, well, I'm going to check, check you for that. You che- oh, okay. Well, let's do this then. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I got you. Okay. Um, I think, you know, as and you can maybe relate to this as well, you know, when you are living life and you're doing your thing, you're just, you're living it. Right. And you right. reach a certain age when you look back and you, you know, I look back and I go, wow, I've done some things, I guess. And then other people are like, wow, you've done some things. And I'm like, mm. okay, interesting. So when I, I, you know, the reason I think one of the reasons my background is what it is, is because I came out at a young age, you know, at 17, I was working at BBDO in New York City and I had my own apartment. Wow. Yeah. And that wasn't even my first job. Actually, my first job was working at Amalgamated Bank when I was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I came out young and I started working in advertising and, and in media and went through different um, positions and different things, trying to find myself. I was young, you know, and then right. at the age of like, 19 or 20 ran out to LA thinking I wanted to be a writer and worked on, I had the privilege of working on a lot of uh, TV shows with a lot of the legends or greats as I call them. Uh, these are yes. these are people who defined TV in the seventies and in the eighties, like Norman Lear, Gary David Goldberg. Um, I'll I'll add Bill Cosby to that only because obviously he was he did define TV. Absolutely, to, you know what I'm saying it was an experience. But so I worked in TV and film for years after working in publishing and in working in TV and film, and then seg- I segued into indie film. Right, mm-hmm. which was also something that that I really enjoyed doing, and worked at Sundance for a few years, and then when I came back to New York, I decided that I sort of wanted to change. And you know, this is, this is a time in life when I was thinking, I don't know what I really want to do, but I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be in right. entertainment anymore. And so I ended up working in corporate law, just in document review and working mm-hmm. on contracts all night long with attorneys, with attorneys. But the fascinating thing about that, that helped to define my, help to support the path that I realized now that I was laying that, that sort of got me to this point is that I worked in that field and in, in corporate law at a time when all of the banks were merging and sort right. of collapsing onto each other. And all of this new technology was coming into the firms and they needed people who were fearless with regards to sort of picking up the new technologies and using them and getting it and all of a sudden converting all of these thousands of documents. So, it, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity. I was reading contracts day and night, day and night, day right. and night with the attorney. So that was great. And I kind of hopped around and then, you know, after working in, in corporate law, I traveled a lot as well and, and, mm-hmm. and wrote, which I love doing. But ultimately, I ended up leaving media and, and that whole part of me behind because it became sort of unfulfilling for me right. for a number of and reasons. <laughs> tell me how that feels when you, because there, again, a lot of various experiences and each one of those areas energetically just takes a lot. 
And, ah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. So did you find yourself depleted energetically? Because there are times when we are, are, are proficient and, and mm-hmm. certainly capable above and beyond the call of duty is what we ordinarily do. But right. that doesn't mean that that's your passion project or where you need to stay. So exactly. what was that feeling like for you? That's a great point. That's a really great and a great question. Um, I, I had someone who looked at my bio and they said, boy, looking at your bio, you just seem to be some, you seem like you were someone who didn't really care what anyone thought about what you wanted to do. You just did it. Right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I said, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I'm, I'm an only child. So, you know, I. Me too. I, I, I knew I liked you. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm my own best friend. There you go. Uh, self, <laughs> self-love. Okay. So I certainly don't have a problem or, or I cert- I'll say this. I, I'm not one who feels the need to be led by a, a group or, or to, to seek approval for everything that I do. So the moments when I do make these big shifts in my life, it has been because where I was, was ex- had become extremely uncomfortable or mm. unfulfilling. And I just knew I had to go, I, you know, and so with, with entertainment, with traditional media, as I'll say, as I'll call, that's what we used to call it, um, in TV especially, I was oftentimes the only Black woman in the writer's room. Right. Okay. And I I mean, I, I had a great time. I learned a lot. I, I was able to contribute and do things and hear things that I knew other people weren't hearing. <laughs> you know? right. And after a while, I mean, you just, the question ultimately, you're ultimately faced with the same question again and again in life. And that is, who are you and who do you want to be? And is what mm. you're doing serving either one of those things? And if the answer right. is no, right. I right. got to go. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> right? right. And sometimes you don't even know in the moment why it's no longer serving you. And you're like, well, it just, I love this. It was a passion of, you know, for a couple of years and now I, I detest it. It's, it's aching. It's hurt. hurts. I don't want to do it anymore. And so, um, yeah. So to that, in that regards, I, I think it's really important. And one of the things that I think for my life that has guided me is the necessity to listen to that voice and that and to allow myself to feel that pain of discomfort mm-hmm. and then know how to get up and move on when I need to. Um, and then looking back, I realized I go, wow, but thank God I did. Right. And that's not to say that every move was perfect. Right. But it was necessary. And, and, and to get me to where I am today, That's wherever really that is. Powerful. <laughs> really, really powerful because it's always about moving forward. I um, mm-hmm. was telling someone recently, and I, I use this to lead my direction in my own life, that mm-hmm. you are either moving forward or back, that we're constantly dynamic. It is not static, mm-hmm. this experience that we are having here on this exactly. earth. Exactly. And, you know, it's no wasted effort. It's... Um, no, well, I've made some poor decisions, but that's a story for another day. But right. like, you know, you have new information, you get to make a new decision is the point, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and to that point, I mean, there are a lot of times when we take one step back and then two steps forward, right? I mean, so, uh, you know, I there was a, a brief moment of time when I was actually homeless for like several months, almost wow. a year, actually, when I, you know, after the market crashed in 2008, I felt like, you know, I had my first start startup, my first tech startup, right? right. And it, it was really hard to fail at that because I didn't think that I could fail mm. like that. Um, I, I learned at that point in my life what it means to be arrogant, <laughs> you <know>? um, <laughs> young and arrogant, right? Mm. Um, 
also, I, I think I began to understand sort of that sort of the cultural way that we are raised here in this country to think that we can do anything and everything and anything. And it's, it just is what it is. It's going to happen. And that's it. Right? right. Because when I launched my first startup, when I came out of entertainment and I decided I wanted to segue into tech, for me, it was like, there's no doubt about it. I'm going to crush this mm. because I crushed everything up until then. Right. In my life, I just was the, the one who was running things. And so when you feel the power of external forces that force you to face yourself for right. what you are, for what you really are. Right. And to accept a certain amount of humility that's necessary in order for you to step forward, to, to climb up to the next part. It's, it's brutal, but it's necessary. So I said all of that to say when I became homeless and I fell into that dark depression, mm. that actually was one of the most profound moments in my life. It's not something that I regret. It's not mm. something that I would undo. And the truth be told, I, you know, in the beginning it was rough, but I actually ended up having a stronger mind, mm -hmm. even while I was homeless, than I had when I was living it up and doing my thing, you know. Right. <laughs> that is so powerful because it also just demonstrates, you know, we go through these seasons in life mm -hmm. um, as well. And, and our, our lives, and, and when we look to nature, to the various seasons they're you know, they're neutral, they're agnostic. Right, right. Um, our experience through them, there will be a spring where there's youth, you know, and vitality and growth. There will be a summer right. where it's hot, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and all of that. There will be a fall, which I, when I think of fall, which is my safe, it's my favorite season. I think Me of the too. harvest, right? So it's right. like the harvest of self. So all of the, mm. the planting and the waiting and the wanting and right. the growth that we start to see some manifestation. And then in every life, there falls a winter where we're pruning and we cut back. Right. It's cold by and dark. By the way, the winter, is, <laughs> the winter is my favorite season, by the way. Is it? Oh, I love it. The <laughs> colder, the uh, well, yeah, okay for for the number for the reasons that you just said, but also mm. primarily because I absolutely love cold weather. I, I know see. that's kind of strange. That's number yeah, one. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But I'm gonna let it go. <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna hang up on me, are you? Okay. Well, my family is like, who are you? What? Um, and also. You know, it forces people to go inside. It forces mm. people to just take a break after they've been running around like nutcases, you know, on, on, in the summer, showing everything and being everything. <laughs> right. Right. I don't need to see all of that. You know, <laughs> in the winter, everybody has to go inside and just regroup and figure, you know, kind of calm down. I like that. I like that a lot. As a matter of fact, when I was homeless, it was primarily during the winter mm. that I went through that period. So, yeah. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. <laughs> that is really interesting. And it's really speaking to me now. It's, it's just interesting where I am at my, at this point in life, you know, you look back over the titles and the accolades mm -hmm. and, and, and all the yeah. things that you stack up, but 
there is a necessary time. And I actually, you might be speaking to my listeners, but you're also speaking to me right now, which is why mm-hmm. I love these conversations and why I love this platform uh, mm-hmm. to have these authentic conversations. Um, and, and, and a little piece of something resonates for everybody. There's something for everybody. Right. In it. And, and so I, I, I absolutely receive that. And it leads me to my next question of talk about the transition into tech. You mentioned it a bit earlier, but uh, mm. give the listeners um, more of an idea of the how and the why you transitioned into tech and the tech space. And, and not only just from your entrepreneurial endeavors, but you're actually a leader in the space, too, with all that you're doing. Oh, and your platform yeah. is supporting people in doing that as well. So so tell us about that transition. Oh, OK, well. I will say that in 2007, 2007, 2008, when I, when I stepped into tech, it, like a lot of things in life, when we make decisions to make changes or to do something that's diabolically different than anything we've ever done before, it's usually because we have an opportunity that's presented to us. And we don't even know what that opportunity really entails. We don't really see the fullness of it. We just intuitively feel like, you know, this is something here. There's something here. Let me go in this direction. So I met a woman, I I had already begun to gravitate towards tech anyway, because I felt like at that time, now I know a lot of people aren't going to necessarily remember this, but 2007 was a strange time because Mm. Facebook, what Facebook was had just launched. I mean, this was like pre-social media, right? This this was not when, you know, we were just getting up and going with it with these technologies online that allowed us to become more social. The web video platforms, I think YouTube had just launched the year before. So it was really early. No one knew what this was going to be. And we certainly couldn't predict what it is today. So anyway, I looked at that and then said to myself, looking back at traditional media, which is what we called it back then, traditional right. media, I didn't see a place to go. I, 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 As a black woman, especially in the industry, I said, you know, there's a lot of things that I guess I can do. But in terms of what feeds me creativity, you know, my creativity, I, it's not here for me. And that following year in 2018, um, Barack Obama and you remember McCain had the election and the, right, 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 right. So a woman came up to me. I'll never forget this. Her name was Catherine Bevel Jones. She's a, a producer in theater. And she came up to me and she says, you know what? This Sarah Palin chick, mm. you know, this is, she cannot become, like, we cannot let this happen. McCain Palin. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. You're right. Yeah. And so, and it was that passion, right? So she said, we've got to do something. Why don't we do this? And this was her idea. I'll never forget it. She says, you're, you know, you get media, you, you know, I get media. I'm a producer. You're a producer. She's like, let's do a live webathon. She didn't call it a webathon. She said, let's do a live stream for eight hours where we read letters that women across the country sent in about Sarah Palin becoming president and vice president and how they felt about that. And let's read it live online. And no, no one had ever done that before, by the way. Again, YouTube was wow. only up and going for a year and a half. So back then it was actually a platform called, I think it was Livestream live or Ustream or something like that. So I said, you know, yeah, that's hot. That's hot. And we'll raise money. We'll do these little micro payments. And it wasn't <laughs> even a platform that could, yes, yes. Can you believe that? And so I said, well, okay, let's, so we, it was in that moment between the both of us that we decided to do something because it was out of necessity. We felt these are tools that we can use to amplify the voice of women. Like, right. yes, this is right. awesome. And there was literally thousands of these letters that had gone viral. And these women sent in emails and letters to answer this question. What do you think of Sarah Palin being vice president? 
And so she came up with the idea of reading it on reading it online mm-hmm. and just having people coming in and picking up a letter and reading it and picking up a letter. So we did that. We and we called it a, a webathon, and we did that for eight hours <laughs> live online. And we just invited all of our friends and the actors in the community and everything and the writers, whatever. And they just came in and it was a line out the door and they would read, they would stand in front of the camera. And this was live stream and it went viral and it made number one on Twitter for trending. And this was back in 2008 before it had even, right. So that left an impression on me. And I had people sort of emailing me saying, Oh my God, this is amazing. What would this look at what you guys did, you know, and you were reading letters from women across the country. So anyway, that left an impression on me that I think is something that carries me through to this day. And I'm really appreciative to to Catherine for that because it was her idea. And it, it forced me to see the real potential of this, these platforms even beyond what I thought. So I decided, well, my first startup is going to be a web video platform. And that's right. what I did. I launched, I launched Art of Talk TV, which was a, a web video platform for talk shows. Mm-hmm. Because remember, back then, talk shows were really popular still, the late Absolutely. night TV shows. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just watch them on YouTube the way you could today. And mm-hmm. so it was a platform for that. And the idea was that I would give D-list and C-list celebrities the opportunity to do their own one episode of a talk show online that we would produce. And if the audience loved it and voted it up, they'd get to do another one. Otherwise they'd be out. Right. So, wow. And if, yeah. And that was back then. And our first, our first uh, guest was Rob Bogoyevich. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I, I got him to sign a contract with us. Boy, I was desperate. I was like, oh, okay, he's D-list, right? He's ready to go to prison. Let's get right. Or P-list as in prison. Right. P-list as in prison. And so, but it was, that was the, that's the amazing. So here's the thing. This is the amazing thing about tools that are created that we do not understand what to do with is that we can, you, it forces you to push beyond the boundaries of even your own perceived limitations, right? And so I'm like, call, I'm email, calling people in Hollywood, emailing them. I'm like, you know, listen, you know, get, bring, let your people come on our show. And this, and we actually got a lot of traction. But anyway, it's so funny. Robert Blagojevich signed with us hmm. literally a week before Trump signed him for Celebrity Apprentice. Wow. That's a hell of a get. That's a hell of a get. And do you know what he said to me? I'll never forget this because my attorney was Italian to my attorney. He was like, hey, Charlie, we got him. We got him. And we were just <laughs> celebrating. Yay. And so he, Rob Lagojevich said this to me before he went to prison. He goes, you know, I, I'm looking forward to being on Celebrity Apprentice, but like, I really, really want my own talk show. I really want to have, uh, and I tapped that. That was the whole purpose of this. So to really be honest with you, the whole idea behind doing a web video show where I let celebrities come on and, and say, you know, do their own talk show is really it sounds crazy, but it's sort of the basis and the foundation of everything that I do, which is that mm. I found that in my life, I am passionate for some reason. I don't know why. God help me. But I am passionate about helping people to have a voice on, on any platform that I can to help them to express themselves in a way that's truest to themselves. We hope you're enjoying this edition of Tech Intersect. Our conversation will continue in a moment, but first, a word on an exciting opportunity. The Tech Intersect podcast is released to the public every Friday. And as an Advantage Evans member, you'll receive VIP first listen access as early as 48 hours before the public and exclusive subscriber content. We're talking worksheets and eBooks, curated links, media, topic-specific content. 
premium members are also invited to monthly free AMA chats with yours truly. And AMA stands for Ask Me Anything. We'll talk about the episodes and I may also include a few special guests. Pro members receive all of that plus AMA replay access. Advantage Evans membership adds substantial value to your listen, learn, and leverage podcast experience. And there are three ways to take advantage. See what I did right there? Advantage of all that the Tech Intersect podcast has to offer. So subscribe now for as little as $5 per month. Cancel at any time. Find out how to get started at techintersectpodcast.com. And now. Back to the conversation. Wow. Wow. Well, that obviously led to the foundations of Tech 2025. Tell us about Tech 2025 and, and, and that entire platform and, and what you're using it for to help amplify voices and educate people as well. Oh, sure. It's a process. It is a process. So Tech 20. So after I did uh, Auto Talk TV, um, that tanked, I went through my whole process. And then I launched, while I was homeless, I actually launched uh, Surfresh Media, which is my digital media strategy agency. And I've been working that for 10 years and it's been very good to me. And we do branding and marketing and all these wonderful things for um, enterprise companies primarily. Uh, Tech 2025 was birthed out of what I think is also was a, a passion. And that was in 2016. I, I read an article from that uh, uh, Craig Schmidt, mm-hmm. who's at you know a Google chairman of Google. Oh, wrote, yes, yes. He co he co-authored this article with Sebastian Throne, and they basically were pontificating about how wonderful AI was going to be, and mm-hmm. uh, they were basically saying, "Stop being silly. Stop questioning us. Stop all this fear mongering. You know, it's going to be amazing." Just, hmm. just sit back, sit back, and let us do what we're going to do. And that that article infuriated me. Hmm. Um, it infuriated me because I know that I know that even if best case scenario, these technologies create a world that we could have only dreamt of, our, right. our utopia, we're going to go through hell to get there. Hmm. And we haven't even begun that process yet. We've been pretty comfortable the last fifty years. Not everybody. I mean, you know, we've gone through a lot, but. You know, there will, there will be people who will fall through the cracks. There are right. people who aren't going to be heard. And so I became passionate about the idea of educating people, not just educating them, but getting them to see the unbelievable opportunity that's before us for them to finally get a piece of the pie, right? right. That this is not Web 2.0 again, right? We're in 2.0, only a few got a piece of it, only a few right. who you know, kept it amongst themselves. So it was that. And it was also, I sat in front of Mark Zuckerberg. I was 10 feet in front of him when he made the comment about Facebook. There couldn't be, there's no way in the world that Facebook could have you know, had anything to do with Russian interference. And mm. that was at an event. And that was the day after Trump was elected in 2016. And when I saw him make that comment you know, in his interview, and I was, this was at an event, he was so adamant that there was no way that what he was doing could harm this world, that his platform could hurt this the, the democracy. That I thought to myself, not only is it, imp- is it important that we educate people, right. but if there's an imperative here. There's a, it, it's, it, it, all of a sudden, a sense of urgency came over me because I thought, if we don't 
give people an opportunity to, number one, understand what's really happening, and then number two, to sort of get in on the action, then I think we're going to be screwed because they can't do it without us. Unlike 2.0, they were able to sort of build this whole world and these technologies without us, these platforms in a way that kind of you know, you know, benefited a few, even though we all sort of benefit from it in a way. But I guess with regards to what's coming in these technologies that are coming down the pipeline, um, there's a leveling of the playing field to some degree. And the way that I put it is that there's a wide open window of opportunity, but it's closing very quickly. Oh, so well said. And and as I think of Um, I talk a lot about the future of work, about helping to prepare people in general, women in particular, and women of color, even more specifically, how do we participate in this new economy in a way, as you said, that we just missed it completely uh, at at the web 2.0 level. And so when I think of blockchain and distributed ledger technologies and AI and ML and augmented reality and virtual reality and all the realities and, and the fact that data is, you know, as they say, of course, the new oil and, mm-hmm. and, and that we're just in a technology driven society. And we're, as you said, moving at, it's just a meteoric clip, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we plotted along for centuries and then right. we started this uptick kind of like mid 20th century. And then at the end of the 20th century, things really started to take off. And now look at where we are and, and we can not even imagine where we're going to be, but right. it's this moment in time whether you're technologically proficient is not or not, you don't have to be a coder, but you do have to participate and prepare yourself for where we are and where we are going. And, and we're and not trained time. for that. We, we've no. not been raised. We've been trained to be the exact opposite from the mm. time we're born until the time we, time we die. We die. We're trained to follow a very strict sort of narrow life plan. We're not taught to think for ourselves, to think critically. To And it's very, it's, it's frustrating, right? And so when I created Tech 2025, I had clients coming to me in 2016. And these were our clients for Surfresh Media who right. were really frightened. They were just like, Charlie, what is this AI machine learning? And this was back in 2016, before the, you know, the hype cycle really got going. And, um, and I, I joke around because I say to, I'd say to everyone, you know, that was the first time that I really started to see fear in the faces of rich white men. Mm. <laughs> what does that look like? <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Well, it's a, I, I love to say because it it's funny, but it's true. It's like right. they knew that this was different. This was going to be different. And so with Tech 2025, there were a few ground rules that I laid for, for Tech 2025. Number one, the reason I call it 2025 or I targeted it that year was because when you listened back in 2016 to all of the developers, not all of them, but when you listen to interviews or read interviews from the people who were developing these technologies back then, and mm-hmm. the question always comes up, well, when, you know, the technologies are still nascent, when will they be ready for prime time? When, when will they become mainstream and really sort of bring to fruition all that they promise. And most of the developers of these technologies, and I'm talking about like eight or nine technologies from 3D printing to VR, AR, to AI, to machine learning and everything, blockchain, they all were saying, oh, about five to eight years. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm like, whoa, that's like 2025. Right. And then I started oh, I thinking to myself, I started thinking, oh, that's just that, you know, it could be 2030 for all I care. But the fact of the matter is, if all of these technologies are developing all at the same time and they all are truly disruptive 
not mm-hmm. just to our businesses and our way of life, but to our the nature of our reality and how right. we define reality. If even two of these technologies come to sort of the full fruition of what they can be or what the promise of them is, then we're screwed by 2025. If that's the case, that doesn't give us much time. Right to prepare and to and to absorb this, right? You know, in the past when we had the industrial revolution, we had like a hundred years to sort of absorb the, right. the shock of it, right? And now you've got like two minutes. You know? and, yeah. so, <laughs> and so that's a lot of what this is about. And I, I saw myself because I work in events and I've been doing events for 10 years, corporate events to, you know, business tech events or whatever, you know, for clients. Uh, I didn't want this to be about events where you just come sort of sit on a panel and talk, but rather where you have the audience participate in problem solving along with the speakers, you know, who are pretty smart people too. But right. my money, when I stand in front of the audience, audience and I say, we need to have this conversation, is on them coming up with amazing ideas and realizing that they actually are the solution to the problems that the people developing these technologies are seeking. They're just underutilized. Right. I can tell that, uh, you know, there's so many things I could talk all night, but I know we're, we're coming up on the, the edge of time. And, I, and yeah. I want to tie some of the things that we've talked about together, particularly given the direction and the future of Tech mm. 2025. And so you, yeah. you teed it up very nicely. I see you have some really interesting events about um, <laughs> technology leadership and mm. algorithmic bias and injustice, which is critically important. Um, right. it, it's so important because... Uh, of the disparate impact, as you've mentioned, on communities of color and other marginalized right. communities. So right. talk about what, what the future of Tech 2025 <laughs> is and some of those those um, those events. Sure. Well, we've done about 70 events so far. We've been up and going since, as a matter of fact, January 20, January the 11th, 2020 makes our third year anniversary. Gosh, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so this is a great opportunity for me to explain that we actually are, uh, we're digging down on our initial mission, which is, you know, for the past three years, we've all been suffering from shell shock, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we, we've been run over by innovation. We didn't expect, number one, we didn't expect Trump to win, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we didn't expect these technologies to kind of all explode at the same time. And now it's like, well, I think everyone has accepted the fact that this is, we're moving into a very different world, right? right? So our goal at Tech 2025 now is to switch gears a little bit to say, okay, we've been sort of run over by the innovation train for the past three years and all of these events that are happening. At this point, everybody should be pretty much on the same page that things are changing, the jobs are going and coming, they're changing, you know, and we have to prepare. So the question that we're asking everyone who participates in our events and our community, our members, our, you know, partners is what are you doing over the next five years to prepare for what's coming, right? right. Like what is your, what's your strategy? What's your strategy? Because at this point we should be talking strategy. And so look, using 2025, the year 2025, so it just sort of as a focal point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next five years are going to actually define the next 50 in the same way that like uh, World War II defined sort of the next 50 years of, of governance in this world and, and the eco- economy and everything. I think the next five years are going to be crucial. So we launched Tech 2025's um, Continuous Learning Division or program, which mm-hmm. is an upskilling program to help companies and professionals and people to upskill 
in the things that we know that they should be trained in that companies aren't really focusing on. When you are getting your upskilling in companies, you're learning about the hard skills, right? Right. How to code, you know, you're learning about specific technical skills that uh, the company thinks that you need or feels you need to serve their purpose and their products and everything. And that's great. That's fine. I get that. What we're focusing on is the leadership the strategic thinking, the problem solving, the things that we also know is crucial to implementing these technologies smartly, wisely, right? It doesn't matter if you can code if you don't know how to make decisions about whether or not you should be rolling out a particular product or how it should be done so that it's it's not biased, right? So we're focusing on that. So we have courses on that and we'll be licensing them to companies. But then also we are bringing in events that are focusing on the stories and the people who are very much impacted uh, by these technologies. So we have this one, um, we have uh, actually one of our advisors now who is coming in to talk about how he is the only formerly incarcerated man to fight for his freedom after being wrongfully denied parole by a biased program. Right. Wow. By software. So, yeah, it's pretty profound. We have to begin to put faces to these <laughs> to this technology. So we're doing that, too. I'm really excited about that as well. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be a crazy year. 2020 <laughs> It's going to be something. And guess it's going to be something It's here. <laughs> It's basically is here. it is it it's okay here. okay <laughs> you I feel like everybody's preparing for it I don't know if yes. we can really choose, but we can prepare for it we can we prepare can. For it. we can and we and to. I saw someone tweet earlier to uh, today that you know because we're always focused on what the vision board's going to be and and mm. our resolu- resolutions and and we still have some days left in this raggedy 2029 yeah uh, excuse me 2019 look at me I went really far I love it. <laughs> How dumb I am like, with 2019, right? <laughs> I'm like 2020, beyond 2025. I'm like, whoa, okay. Right. Um, but there's, in this moment, as you said, how do we prepare ourselves going forward? And every day we should be in that process of evolution every day. And when I talk about upskilling, and that's great to add value where you are in place, but you're always, I, I want everybody to continue to focus on being the CEO of me. That you are on loan loan to wherever you happen to get your W-2 income until you make that next move. This is true. But here's the thing. I'll be out. I'll tell you something. I'm really concerned, right? Because I I am shocked. One of the things that I can tell you in in my speakers, our speakers who come in, because I challenge them as well when they come in. No one comes in and grabs the mic and just talks at our event. You know, we want to have thoughtful discussions. And the speakers at our events all say the same thing for the most part, which is that they're shocked at how people are thinking about things. And I'm like, yeah, I am too, maybe not as much as you, but we're not talking to each other about this stuff the way that we should be. And certainly these companies are not really getting and understanding how people are thinking and feeling. Right. And so when they come into our events, we, you know, we ask them questions that are like deep sort of questions to think about problems. I'm shocked by the stuff that I hear. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that sort of blew us away a couple of weeks ago was at our event, which was on upskilling. We had Lauren Weber from Wall Street Journal and John John Pavley from Viacom and everything was a great event. And um, the question that I asked the audience of professionals who were coming to an event about upskilling was, how many people in here, by show of hands, thinks that their job will be partially or fully automated within the next five years? Mm. Do you know only one hand went up in the air? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. One hand. 
wow. out of like, let's say 70 people wow. went up in the air. And, and, and it was shocking because again, this is a, an audience that's savvy enough to know that they should be coming to an event about upskilling. Right. Some of, some of the people in there were professional, well, technical even, you know, some of them were coders, some of them were, you know, a couple of software engineers, um, all professionals, a couple mm-hmm. of students, very diverse, but only one person in that audience felt like their job was in danger of being automated. And wow. guess who that person was? It was an accountant. Everyone was like, yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, 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 <laughs> of course. <laughs> right. But I said that to say, because it shocked all of us and, and, you know, my speakers as well, is that if in a room full of people who are very smart, educated, accomplished, they know enough, they, they're forward thinking enough to come to an event about upskilling, if in that environment, you still have people who, for whatever reason, aren't accepting that their very position is going to be greatly changed or impacted by automation in some way, it kind of, right. it's almost like a cognitive dissonance. It's like, what's, what's, you know, are we seeing the problem? Are we really seeing what's ahead of us for what it is? Right. And if not, what do we do to change that? Well, I think what you are doing, um, and I'm certainly a life, not only a lifelong learner, but very invested Mm -hmm. in educating and and lifting as I climb. And that's how we're going to get there collectively. Mm -hmm. And if we don't get there collectively, it's a wrap anyway. Uh, yeah. We have to do this work together and exactly. it's, in, you know, it's, it's just beating the drum, you know, and I say that intentionally to get people's attention and get them on board and moving forward in something, figuring out many of us have made this substantial investment into education, into whatever path we have leading to this moment in time. How do you leverage what you already know to be right. viable and relevant and damn near indispensable with the future of work that we're talking about here? And, and that's the mission right. right now. That's it. That's where we are. It's mission critical. Mission Absolutely. critical. But, but I really do believe we're up to it. I, yes. I just think it's, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. And it should be. It should maybe. be because that prompts you to move, right? Move that booty. <laughs> exactly. Well, as people are getting ready to move themselves in the right direction, tell people how they can connect with you, learn more about Tech 2025, and get their entire lives together. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> well, no pressure. No pressure. It's, it's a lot of pressure, right? Um, no, it's okay. Well, so you can follow us throughout social media on all platforms um, at, at join tech 2025 so that's the our name across the platforms and i'm it's at it's complicated on twitter so that's easy to follow if you'd like to follow me but you can go to tech2025.com our website and when you go there you can sign up for our newsletter uh you can you're more than welcome to come to our events they're listed on the site under the under upcoming events we have like three events in in January, you mm-hmm. know, um, we have one on which one I already mentioned. And then we have another one on we're doing a actually a tour of Walmart's new store of the future out in oh. Long Island. Yes, yes, yes. So it's a sort of a hands on experiential tour of their facilities and how they're implementing AI with directly with consumers and, and products and stuff in their stores. And then we are launching our 100 Jobs of the Future series starting in July. We'll be looking at specifically jobs of the future that uh, experts are predicting will be coming very soon, <laughs> you know, so right. it's a sort of a strategy session and a think tank about these jobs and what, what we should be doing to prepare for them. So yeah, come on over. You're welcome to come. I look forward to connecting with you guys and uh, yeah. 
That's fantastic. That is fantastic. I'm going to drop all of that in the show notes so that everybody has access to this information. For those who are members of Advantage Evans, you'll get a deeper dive and a curated experience with additional things to watch, to listen, to learn, and uh, to support you in your educational process as you continue to uh, move forward in your own lives and your careers as well. Charlie, 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 thank you so much. You dropped all the mics and all the wisdom. Um, oh, and no. I appreciate you very much. And thank you. Thank just you adding so, so much. much value, not only to this experience that we're having together, but obviously to the entire tech community. And as you're supporting people to move forward, just know that it is not going unnoticed. And I'm here and mm. I'm, I'm happy to support all of your endeavors. So thank you. You are so wonderful. I I truly adore you. And I appreciate that you've given me this opportunity to speak to your audience. Thank you so much. It was a no brainer for me. It wasn't even a a moment of hesitation when you asked me to come on. I was really excited. So thank you. And I, I have to tell you, I follow your tweets and your posts. You are very, I learn from you. I love what you share. And uh, that, that definitely helps me a lot in what I do too. So thank you so much for being amazing. Charlie shared so much wisdom in this episode. It was fantastic. Lots of great takeaways to be sure. First, her origin story reminds us there is no wasted effort. Her background is varied and diverse, and she's been working and building from a very young age. That hustle and grit is paying off. You don't always know why you're having the personal and professional experiences you're having, but Charlie's example shows that if you're nimble, flexible, confident, and ambitious, You can draw on your foundation to ensure you always remain of value and relevant in the workplace. Also, sometimes when you are proficient, it may not mean that you're actually passionate, but there are no accidents, only new information. And new information leads to new choices. The questions that you must return to again and again, as Charlie mentioned, first, who are you and what do you want to be? And is what you're doing right now serving those things? If not, it's time to shift and pivot and reinvent yourself. And there's no better time than now in this new technological wave to do just that. You have new information. So let's make a new decision. Look, Charlie knows homelessness and depression and how to make a way out of no way, not only to survive, but to thrive. And she does it also by empowering others especially now through Tech 2025. I'm so inspired by her story. I hope you are too. And I hope she inspires you to figure out how and when to transition to your own next great adventure and to tap into the incredible opportunities that exist in Web 3.0 in the midst of this dramatic, pervasive, disruptive technological age. Let me know what your favorite takeaways are from the app. Tweet me, drop me a note in the comment section about where you are in your journey and and what your plans are to pivot. Let's plan and pivot together. I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, continue to shine. Stay in touch with host Tanya Evans via your favorite social media. On Twitter at at Tech Intersect and on Instagram via the handle Tech Intersect. This podcast has been produced by Stephanie Renee for Soul Sanctuary Incorporated.